0: The Oracle Network Hello and welcome to Yield Crime where we discuss the funny, strange and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello.
1: How's it going? It's going. Yeah. It's uh, finally turning cold Mm -hmm. where we are. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: it's like nice and cozy, but at the same time, your body is like, do we want to just like shut down for a week and be sick or are we good? Yeah. So I've been kind of teetering on that line of like,
0: Allergy, sickness. hmm so, I think I had that last week. I can't remember. The days yeah. all blur together.
1: The second it goes from like 75 degrees to 34, like you know that your body's going to just hate you the next day. It's going to
0: screw up. It's going to be yeah. like, what
1: happened? like, I'm not waking up. I don't know if you know this, but we are permanently on this bed for the rest of your life.
0: <laughs> Good luck. We are on hold right now.
1: Yeah. So because of that, I feel like I've been kind of in a daze like this whole week. It's just been
0: kind of a sleepy week. All right. This is our Halloween special. Ooh, spoopy. And we have some fun stories that were written into us. We have two recorded messages. Awesome. But our first story comes from our friend Chris at the dial crime podcast. Hey, Chris. Kind of so he says, okay, to preface, my dad was a ghost hunter. Ooh. He told me his stories. So many of them are his. And I recount the best one in an issue of my zine, which I will link to the PDF in the show notes. Nice. And I also talk about a sighting I was near, but not seeing in the, hey. m- in the article. I also have a story that I tell a lot about living in a haunted dorm. Emerson College used to own the Charles Gate Hotel which is now condos, I think.
1: Oh. Haunted condos. Haunted condos. <laughs> Ooh, it's so ritzy. <laughs> Water your lawn.
0: <laughs>
1: you get like ghost finds.
0: Yeah. In my freshman year, I lived on the second floor. The floor always bounced when you walked on it.
1: No, absolutely not. Yeah.
0: One Gross. night, I was walking to watch 120 Minutes, And I could feel the floor bouncing like someone was walking just a bit behind me. Absolutely not. I stopped and turned and the steps continued a couple of steps and then stopped. I turned around and there was nothing there. Hello. I started walking again and then a few seconds later it started up. No. This happened a few more times until I just sprinted down the hall and jumped into the common room where the TV was. The steps sped up and continued down the hall. (laughs) I hate it. I hate all of it. A few minutes later, the girl I had the biggest crush on ran in, jumped into my arms, saying that a man had just walked through her wall. Oh, my God. No. No. I hate hate it. I hate all of it. Make it stop. (laughs) Thank you for that terrifying story, Chris. I hope you caught her
3: (laughs) when she jumped into your
0: arms. Right? Right. And she didn't, like, smack you in the face and cause permanent damage. Yeah. This next story comes from Reggie of the Six Sheets Under podcast. Ooh. Hi, Reggie. He says, hello. Hello. My name is Reggie, and I'm from the podcast Six Sheets Under. I have a pretty spooky story about a possession event me and my roommates witnessed. Stop it. There were five of us living in an older house in a pretty long existing community in Beaverton, Oregon. Okay. That's the best name of a town ever. I feel like Oregon is hella haunted. Oh, yeah, for sure. As with all old houses, it had its usual creaks and groans, and with its hallways and many rooms, it was easy to feel like you weren't alone. No. All of us in the house would see things occasionally. Often enough that it was common for us to hustle to a safe bedroom a little faster in the dark.
1: What's a safe bedroom? They can walk through walls. <laughs> you heard the last story.
0: <laughs> Maybe it had like a bunch of salt, like a salt ring around it or something.
1: Right. Just a rosary right on it.
0: Yeah. Most commonly seen was the shadowed man in a top hat that resided in the kitchen while a pale child was seen sulking in corners or crawling on the wall. Stop. No. No. Absolutely not. And also, don't cook with a hat on, like a top hat. That's just stupid. Guessing he didn't like using the stairs for the child. The possession, though, was new. My brother, a roommate, and myself were in the garage watching a movie. The garage was the hangout room. Okay. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, a little late into the night. Suddenly, my brother sitting next to me went silent and turned and looked at me. His eyes had flushed red like blood vessels had popped. And when I made eye contact, he said very calmly, I have to kill you. What? Keep in mind, there were no drugs involved. We were pretty straight-edged then. I asked what he was talking about, and he repeated, I have to kill you and grabbed my throat. Oh my God. I wasn't going to take that from my younger brother and proceeded to wrestle him off me. I managed to eventually pin him by the neck with a weightlifting bar. Even with my (gasps) weight and the bar, my brother was a handful to keep pinned. At this point, the roommate already in the room is in hysterics and tears as two more roommates come in to see what's going on.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Later, we would all confirm the eyes were in fact red. With help, I managed to begin to apply a sleeper move on my brother, and he began to shout, Andrew Munson gives me strength, and various other rantings involving that name. Ew. Eventually, my brother passed out, and we moved him to a couch in the main living room. After a few minutes, we woke him and questioned what the hell he was doing. Yeah. Blinking awake as if from a nice sleep, his eyes were blue again. He had no recollection of anything and was asking why he was laying on the couch and how he got there. He had no marks from the struggle and claimed he felt fine. The next day, I went online to see if I could find anything about that name and discovered there was an Andrew Munson buried in a cemetery not far from the house. Stop it. Deciding that was enough, we all left it as another quirk of the house and didn't pursue it any further.
1: You guys, Reggie. I've spoken like such a such a broke, like
0: college, <laughs> college kid kid.
1: Like you know, at least it wasn't a rat. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is happening. It's fine. That is my story. There are other stories involving that house, including my own near, possibly actual death from asthma, which led to a lot more creepy happenings for a while after that. Gross. Sorry if the story was a lot to read, but I do enjoy telling it, and we still talk about it even 10 years later.
1: I bet you do.
0: Hope it was entertaining, at least. Reggie Mills.
1: Uh, If entertaining equals terrifying, then yes. Thank you, Reggie. You have succeeded (laughs) thoroughly. Yes. I'm going to go cry in my room now.
0: (laughs) With all the lights on and a (laughs) circle of salt around me. I said good day. (laughs) We are joined today by a very special guest all the way from South Africa, which is our first person from South Africa. So it's very exciting. Super exciting. And this is Nix from the Sounds Creepy Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you so much for reaching out. So Nix responded to my call on Twitter for creepy paranormal stories and immediately wrote to me and was like, do you want to learn about some cryptids? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. So she is going to delight us today with some local cryptids from South Africa. So I will now be quiet and let her take over and delight us with some tales.
4: I'd like to start our South African cryptid journey off with Grootslang. Mm-hmm. Grootslang is loosely translated means big snake. It's a South mm. African legend that originated in the secluded Roegtesweld region. Sorry, there's going to be a lot of Afrikaans names and things in here. They're going to sound a little
0: odd. I love it. Yeah, I think it's awesome.
4: At least hopefully I don't have to apologize to anybody
0: for pronunciation. On this one. <laughs> <laughs> we apologize every episode, so it's totally fine. There's a blanket apology.
1: <laughs> We've got the correction cubby open if you need it.
0: Yeah, for sure. No problem.
1: (laughs) So that is near the Orange
4: River that divides the South African and Namibian borders. And in 1917, an English businessman and treasure hunter, Peter Grayson, disappeared from the area after his party was attacked by lions and suffered other strange casualties during their unfortunate expedition. Rumors soon circulated that Grayson fell victim to the Hruitslang, as his half-eaten corpse was later found at the mouth of a cave that local guides claimed housed this vicious cryptid. Mm. Legend has it, shall I say. The Hruitslang (laughs) was created by the early gods that were still new to crafting the creatures of Earth, and it was described as a primordial elephant-sized snake-like creature with four tusks. Shining skin and breast that instantly killed its victims. Absolutely not. That's <laughs> not mine. None
1: <laughs> of that. I'm sorry. The gods messed up. We do. <laughs> well, it's
4: funny that you say that. They say it's often depicted with orange gems for eyes, or having the body of an elephant and the tail of a snake. Okay. It lives in the Kornelskop Hut or one wonder hole. Wonder hole.
2: There's oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> which
4: is rumored to be a diamond filled cave connected to the ocean that's roughly 40 miles away from said wonder hole hmm. realizing that they had erred in giving it immense strength cunning, and intellect the gods split the grutslang into separate creatures which is how the first snakes and elephants were created oh that's cool I like that. So they did do that. They were like, "Well, there you go." I I don't know if they did, but I mean, they were like, "Yeah, uh, this was a this was not a good idea." So let's just divide (laughs) those up. Yeah. See if we can sort this out.
1: That makes more sense.
4: They say one of the original churitslung escaped and sired all others of its kind, and others say a handful avoided being subdivided by the gods and can be found in warm waters and lakes across the area. One is even said to exist in Benin, Benin west africa though no one actually
1: knows how it got there hmm. i bet it was just sheer force of will it was like you know what i'm gonna do this and make <laughs> yeah.
4: i can do it because i'm extremely cunning and i'm just gonna i don't know maybe hike up you can you can walk there so i guess if you're an elephant you can walk there there you there go, you go. It feeds on unsuspecting elephants by luring them into its cave and then devouring them. Mm -hmm. They're not picky eaters, though, and are said to eat anybody that wanders into their domain. Mm -hmm. Interesting to me, though, because if you know anything about the Richterschwald and you know anything about the area, there might have been elephants there many, many years ago, but there certainly aren't any right now because it's extremely arid. Okay. It's a mountainous area and there's basically almost nothing there. So that's why it's not picky anymore? (laughs)
0: It's like, if, you, if you're silly enough to come over here, I'm going to eat you. It's yeah.
1: <laughs> Listen, it's been a long time.
4: <laughs> Legend has it that if you're caught by a threat slung, you can barter your freedom with precious gems to avoid being tormented and tortured to death by this bloodthirsty beast that would play with its food before consuming it piece by piece.
1: Nope. No thanks. <laughs> I'm never going to the mountains in South Africa.
4: This is great. <laughs> it's never is a very small and secluded area. I swear, it's not everywhere. It's just, just <laughs> for the for the crazy people living in the middle of nowhere. It's also been known to shapeshift into a beautiful maiden that lurks by the banks of the Orange River and lures men to their watery death.
1: Kind of like mermaids. Mm-hmm. The first mermaids.
4: Keep that one in mind, because the next one is the Karua mermaid. Hmm. Oh. But first, let's just have a look at pop culture references for the slang. It was featured in two well-known, well, one very well-known podcast, The Paranormal Life, episode mm-hmm. 188, and mm-hmm. episode 25 of the Meet My Monsters podcast, which is a South African podcast about cryptids. Okay, cool. It also featured in several books, a mobile game the Lumberjanes comic book series. I don't know if you ladies are familiar. Mm-hmm. And most notably, a Cartoon Network show about cryptozoology called The Secret Saturdays, which started airing in 2008. Hmm. What? That sounds cool. I need to look that up. Yeah. Right, right. So the next one is the Karua Mermaid, which is actually a desert mermaid. Ah, oh, okay. That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> So the thing with the Karoo mermaid is that 250 million years ago, the small karua, or the Klein Karoo as we call it, was actually submerged underwater. Okay. And as the oceans receded, it left behind a fertile valley in which the Karoo mermaid can be found. Okay. So if you drive from the top of the country and you come down, it becomes more and more arid. And then mm-hmm. you actually hit this mountain pass, which is the Meringsport Canyon. And there are water pools there. And we actually oh. stopped there on the way here and we hiked up and you can see them there and you see kids jumping off of you know rock faces into cool. the pools. Little did I know that the Kuro Mermaid is supposedly that's her haunt.
2: Okay. So, well.
4: <laughs> Watch out, children. <laughs> They say that she is found next to deep mountainous pools in the Mairingsport Canyon between the Arichen and Semi deserts. She's described as a dark-haired woman with blue eyes, pink cheeks, less her she wears blush, yeah. <laughs> and a fishtail. And she lounges beside dark, freshwater pools, combing her hair, true mermaid style. Yeah. As they do, yes. Because, I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, you're stuck in this place, it's the only water for miles around, you're like... <laughs> I've already lured so many men to their deaths. What will I do today? Yeah. I guess I'll just have to comb my hair.
0: It's not like you can crawl your way to another pool. You're kind of stuck there.
4: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Interesting, though, because they say that she moves around when there are floods in the area. Okay. That makes sense. There is a river there that you cross multiple times. It's like a serpentine under the pass. And I think you cross that river, I don't want to lie. Something like... 10 or 12 times, okay. across the same same river in a very small period, very very small distance. So she can get around for sure. Okay. She is said to be the manifestation of an ancient and sinister water spirit that would lure passersby, grab them as they approached, and drag them to their watery grave. Fun. The first written account of Karim Mermaids is a story about the Yisselchatzpoort water spirits. As told by an old Bushman to a local farmer in 1875. Now, I just like to interject here. Bushman is a very blanket term for basically two tribes of people that lived in the area. So today we don't call them Bushmen anymore, mm-hmm. but that's how they were referred to in olden days. Today they are referred to as the Khoisan.
1: Okay, it's a beautiful name.
4: Yeah, it's it's well, it's a double barrel, I guess. There's a lot of intermarriage. They just go, "I'll be Khoisan." They just have to be <laughs> Khoi or son. <laughs> Ancient Khoisan rock paintings in the area depict fish-tailed people, leaving some to believe that Karua mermaids have been around for hundreds of years. Others say that these images are interpretations of shamanic rituals involving sparrows that are also linked to rainfall in the Sun tribes. But the fish-tailed figures in question are clearly shown as having long arms with long items in their hands. It is also worth noting that the Khoisan people are not known for drawing interpretations but would paint what they see in their physical world instead. Okay, so they're very literal. That's unsettling. Exactly. Nope. I think correct me if I'm wrong that some of the first peoples or Native American drawings are also spiritual creatures, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we we don't we don't have this in this case. They just they, they draw what they see. So I would also invite you to go and have a look at these pictures. They are online. I'll, I'll send them along to you guys. Sure. So it, it's it's truly weird that you have these cave paintings that are hundreds of years old. And these people clearly
0: are, they're fish people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about it's that. It's kind of cool. It, it's cool, yeah. but it's also terrifying. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, I tell you, the other thing that's really strange about these pictures is that it looks like they have spears. I was just going to
0: say, like, they had
1: sticks in their hands.
0: Yeah. If they're carrying long weapons, that's also like, okay.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't want to go. I wouldn't want to go to a river with there if there was a person with spears. Yeah. Okay, I'm not thirsty anymore. I'm fine. I'm just going to go back to the desert. It's cool. (laughs) Bye. It's cool. Bye. Which
4: is also kind of how the the Khoisan people depict themselves, especially during hunting and things like that. There's always the spear in the hand, you know, the typical imagery. Yep. So, like I said, go have a look at that and you'll see fish people with, with what looks like
0: spears, to me at least. They took them from the Khoisan people. Or they made the mistake of giving them to them.
1: Because if you left it next to the water where they are and you didn't know they were there, mm-hmm. they'd be like, ha-ha, you're dead now. <laughs> I'm going to keep this. I'm not
4: saying it's aliens, but maybe it, maybe it's people.
1: <laughs> Stranger things have happened. That's true. They say the Karoo
4: mermaids are responsible for rain, floods, and drought, and that if angered, they'll grab you, drag you into the water, and straight up drown your ass. Ouch. In recent history, the Maringspoort area flooded in 1996, reviving the legends of the Karoo mermaids. This is interesting. So they speak about a collective. They speak about more than one. And certainly in the Khoisan drawings, you see more than one individual depicted. Mm -hmm. But they often refer to the Karua mermaid. So there's clearly one that is known to be probably specific in that area, you Mm -hmm. know, in the Mayeringsport area. When it flooded in 1996, it revived the legends of the Karua mermaids as locals claimed that the water swept her out to sea, but that she was somehow rescued and returned to her home.
0: Hmm. Isn't that kind of counterintuitive to what the legend and lore surrounding them is like? Because why would they save her as opposed to drowning and eating her or whatever they do with them after they drown them?
4: Well, it's because they are a symbol of fertility. Oh, they're they're also associated with the rain.
0: Okay, and maybe because it was it was a woman as opposed to a man, they were like, "Well, we have to save you."
4: Maybe I don't know. I I, I don't know. know. It's those rosy cheeks, you know, Mm -hmm. the long dark hair, and they say that she has. Black hair and blue eyes. So, sounds like she's a dish. Yeah. Yeah. Sushi dish. I don't know.
0: There you go. (laughs) Sounds foxy to me. So.
4: A local clairvoyant was said to have made contact with her during this time and established that the mermaid's name was Eporia. Soon after, many sightings of mermaids were reported across the Karua, but have since virtually died out. Hmm. As a symbol of the feminine life force and fertility, the mermaids of the Karua have the power to summon rain to soak the arid plains, causing the Karua to burst into life with colorful succulent plants that attract scores of photographers and tourists to the area every year. That's cool.
1: Convenient. (laughs) Luring them. That's
4: actually kind of a cool thing. You know, um, if you drive through the Karua, it looks... Most of the time it's very, very barren and there's, it's almost like the outback. Okay. Right? So it's not a, not a complete desert, but it's a semi-desert. And once a year, I think during the springtime, it is covered in fields and fields of wildflowers. Wow.
1: That's cool. That's really so People cool. come
4: there specifically into the semi-desert and they, uh, they just want to see the flowers. It's actually quite beautiful. It sounds
0: like it. That reminds
1: me of like the cherry
0: blossoms in Japan. It's yeah, no, it's like once a year and it's like a it's a big thing. That's cool.
1: In pop culture, not much is
4: said about the Karua Mermaid, probably because it sounds like such a tall tale, mm-hmm. but it was also discussed in the Meet My Monsters podcast episode five.
2: Oh, nice.
4: Then the last one that I have for you is the Tokulosi. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about it. It's the most mm-hmm. famous one that we have. I don't know. Where I come from, it's pronounced Tokuloshi. Okay. So it stems from the Zulu-Tosa mythology, and the Tokoloshi has various names like Tikoloshe, Tokoloshe, or Hili in other parts of Africa, and hints at possible Haitian zombie folklore origins.
0: Ooh. I think I've heard of the Hili. I think that's that's the one name that I I kind of recognize that name. Mm-hmm. So, okay.
4: All right. That's why I put that one in there, because I know sometimes I've heard people speak of the hilly, so they might be related, but it might not be exactly the same. Okay. All right. This mischievous dwarf-like water sprite harnesses the power of invisibility by drinking water or swallowing a stone. Oh, very different things. Okay well you'll find that a lot of these spirits are they they surround waterways and things like that and even traditional healers in south africa uh, what we call sangomas mm-hmm. they there is very little known about how to become a sangoma especially to people outside of the culture they don't share yeah. those things but what's interesting is that i've heard people say that you go to a water spirit that lives in the ocean or in a big body of water. Hmm. And you spend, I'm not sure, I remember him saying two weeks or a couple of days underwater communing with this spirit. Hmm. And when they do their rites, they go to beaches and water is a very integral part of the whole thing. They'll also bottle water from the ocean and from waterways to use in their practices. Okay. The tokoloshi is said to have a large penis that it throws over its shoulder, and many ongoing reports tell of people, men and women, being sexually molested by the creature in informal settlements and townships across the country. Oh, that's awful. Some say it even causes infidelity and
1: infertility. Wow, so that one just sucks in general. Like just a terrible, no good...
0: Terrible little creature.
1: Like, (laughs) I'd rather have... At, be at risk of being eaten by the mermaid and having a baby like she, she brings fertility but she also might eat you i don't know we'll see <laughs> this is just like this one might molest you or make you infertile or cheat on your spouse cool let's just yeah. do that
4: the interesting thing about that is that reportedly most people seek the help of a tokoloshi because of jealousy so i oh. don't know if that and the infidelity and would, even infertility to a certain degree go with that As we well know, we often seek other reasons for things happening, Mm -hmm. you know, supernatural reasons. And this might be a convenient thing to play into it because the Tokoloshi legend lives on till today. It is very common in South Africa to read about it in uh, certain newspapers for people to talk about it. It's still a hot topic and it's, you know, very many years after the fact.
2: Wow.
4: That's interesting. So it is definitely it's a it's a part of culture you know people talk about it on the streets and they're so influenced by it that the superstitions uh surrounding the tokoloshi can be seen in people's homes oh okay. I've personally seen it, especially black people that come from or or live in informal settlements or in townships in South Africa. The thing is, you know, it's easy to make light of these things when you're all snug in your your home and living this Western life and having this Western Mm -hmm. view. But when you're in the middle of nowhere, a lot of these people come from other African countries and Mm -hmm. they have no one here. And there's Mm -hmm. no one looking out for them. And they hear these, these rumors, these legends and these stories about these vile creatures. If you hear about how to stave them off, I mean, I'd rather take that chance. Yeah. Because, you know, there's the the risk, you know, nothing bad is going to happen if you do it, but something bad might happen if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. So the Tokoloshi can be called upon to scare children, cause illness and even death to those who cross its master. This vile creature is known to bite the toes off of its unsuspecting victims as they sleep, and the tokoloshi can only be banished by an apostolic pastor or a sangoma-slash-traditional healer for the right price. Oh,
1: makes sense. That's awful.
4: Imagine that, you're like just chilling in the next minute, toes bitten off. How did that happen? You have
1: no toes and now you're broke. (laughs) Yeah. So you don't lose more of your toes the joke there
4: also is that it's often been said that the sangomas that they go to to dispel these creatures are oftentimes the ones that put the curse on them in the first place.
0: Oh, oh geez!
4: So you get them coming and going. Uh, there you go. That's how you make money, girl. Don't don't hate. Yes. Don't hate the play. I hate the game. Yep. When it comes to the origin, the legend, which is still alive in indigenous South African folklore, started as a way to explain why people were dying in their huts at night during the cold winter months on the Gauteng Highveld. Mm. At the time, people were unaware that sleeping on the floor next to a fire depletes the oxygen in the room and that heavy mm. carbon monoxide sinks to the floor, causing seemingly unexpected and unexplained death. Mm. However, sleeping in an elevated position in a bed stacked on top of bricks or paint cans is the only proven way to stay safe from the tokoloshi, as it can't climb high objects thanks to its diminished stature. Okay, All right. So you will very often find that you will go into a Black person's home and their bed will be on bricks or on paint cans. Obviously, not all people, some people, and a great proportion of people that I've known personally do that so yeah I mean what's the risk yep yeah no harm no foul man apart from falling out of bed and breaking a hip i guess it's better than you know risking those toes yep. yep also isn't that just another thing of I can't dangle anything over the side yeah <laughs> yeah right it's just like yeah. oh, no yep okay here's an in- interesting thing the creation to call forth a tokoloshi you need to approach an evil witch doctor or sangoma granted they are not The same thing to take vengeance on your enemy in return. You have to trade the soul of a loved one as payment, but you can't choose who to sacrifice. The choice is up to the beast. Oh, okay. Quite the sacrifice.
1: That is. Yeah. Like,
4: uh, like, Oh, no, it's okay. Take someone. Oh, don't take my mother. Oh, too bad. Might just, might just have to, you know, might just have to take the old lady. I don't know. This doesn't sound like a good deal. Yeah. The sangoma prepares a body for possession by gouging out the eyes, ripping out the tongue, scramble the brain to curb autonomy. Magical powders are then sprinkled on the body in order to shrink it so that it can fit into tight spaces and easily hide out of sight as it lies in wait for its victims.
1: No, none of it. Not a bit of it. No, thank you.
0: It sounds a little bit like the mummification process.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: Only, only without the taking out of the organs, I guess.
4: Right. In this case, it does remind me a little bit of Haitian zombies. Yes. You know, voodoo yep. zombies, where they're, especially the powder thing. Uh, I don't know. What was what was the one that I recently saw? The most recent example of that that I actually physically watched was The Serpent and the Rainbow. Okay. Yep. Bill, Bill Pullman. They mm-hmm. blow the powder into his face and that sort of whatever. So I think a lot of these are taken from those traditions and just sort of modernized or, or, or made to fit into the modern setting for, for mm-hmm. what these people want. Because I mean, before Africa was colonized, of course, these stories would, would run across the borders. Mm-hmm. People would hear these things, you know, from all the way up in Northern Africa, they'd hear tales of, of their folklore and it would be incorporated to a certain yeah. degree locally as well. Here's where it gets interesting. The pop culture reference here. Serial killer Elifasi Msomi, aka the axe killer, claimed to be influenced by Tokoloshi to do evil deeds in the 1950s. He raped a woman and killed a total of 15 people, including five children, and was then sentenced to hang at Pretoria Central Prison in 1956. Interesting thing, I actually lived in Pretoria for 10 years. And it's not very, very far from where I lived. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't get the chance to go to the Pretoria Central prison because the inner city is a very dangerous place.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
4: His numerous escapes from prison and references to the Tokoloshi concerned local Zulu community so much that upon special request, the presiding judge permitted nine Zulu chiefs and elders to attend his hanging in order to confirm that he would not magically be saved from death by the very Tokoloshi that possessed him. Oh. One chief oh. still believed that Msomi might yet return from the dead as a Tokoloshi himself to carry on his murderous spree. Wow. I hope yep. not. That'd be awful. So imagine that you're so scared of a thing that you believe that that person's not going to die or that they're going to come back as said creature. I mean, this was in the 1950s. This was not, not very long ago. Yeah, I was
0: yeah. going to say, that's not that long ago. That's crazy.
4: Yeah. Tragically, several infants and toddler deaths have been reported over the years where a relative or a jealous lover killed a child suspected of being a tokoloshi. So yeah, that, that you actually still get that from time to time. A very terrible thing happens. An adult kills a child and just goes, oh, yeah, I thought it was a tokoloshi. And why would they think it was a tokoloshi?
0: Like, what would make them think based off the fact that it was an infant, that it was a tokoloshi?
4: Extreme superstition. Okay. It it breeds in these communities. And oftentimes there is also an element of substance abuse. And when, well, I mean, it's not uncommon to hear of men killing the children of their partners.
0: Yep. Yeah.
4: So it might be a convenient scapegoat, but mm-hmm. um, there have definitely legitimately been people that said that they thought an infant was masquerading as, or, or, or Tokoloshi was masquerading as an infant, mm-hmm. because some, some legends also say that it doesn't just come at you with its real physical form. First, it's like a spurt that manifests. And as you said, little things go wrong here mm-hmm. and there. Yep. certain bad lucks, and then it manifests as something familiar to you okay. before the, the veil is lifted. Okay. Right. So there is a specific story that I read, an article that I think took place uh, 2009, if I'm not mistaken, where a family member killed an infant, a sleeping infant, uh, while they were having a festival. And he was just screaming that this child is a tokuloshi, and he beat him to death while his oh. mother was out of the house. Oh
2: that's,
4: oh, that's awful. So, yeah, unfortunately, that is a, not a common occurrence, but it happens more often than really it should. Yeah. Well, As far as other pop culture references go, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a band called The Antwerp. Yes. They mentioned the Tokoloshi in their performance of I Think You're Freaky on the late night show with David Letterman. And it also features in their Evil Boy music video, if you've ever seen that. Oh. And there, actually, it's depicted as having a very large penis. So that one is on the ball. (laughs) That was unintentional, I swear. It's also referenced in several films, TV shows and songs in South Africa, the UK and Australia. And the South African Daily Mail tabloid is known to publish outlandish articles about the Tokuloshi on a regular basis, as it has become a popular subject amongst its highly
0: superstitious readers. Considering it's a variant of the Daily Mail, that doesn't surprise me.
1: No, doesn't surprise right.
4: me. Right. The thing is though that the people that that read this publication have no idea even what a tabloid is. Yeah. It's sold as the truth. And I actually spoke, I I was fortunate, or shall I say unfortunate enough, to speak to uh, two people that are on the editing team for the newspaper a couple of years ago. And I asked them about it. I was like, why is there always something about the tokoloshi in the news? And they were like, it sells. It just 100% sells. Mm. People want to know about it. People want to read about it. And in South Africa, in certain provinces, especially in Limpopo, witchcraft is rampant or the idea of witchcraft is rampant right so you'll find stories like an old woman who was suspected of being a witch was accosted by a mob she ran away and turned into a dog and then the dog turned into a snake and then the snake turned into a baboon
1: okay checks
4: out that makes sense
0: yeah seems legit
4: yeah insert whatever animal whatever foul creature you want in there but i mean it's a story as old as time Marginalized people, especially women, being prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And the thing about witchcraft is, you don't need to be a witch; you only need to be accused of being one.
1: Yep. yep, yep. Well, and more often than not, we we've discussed this a few times in our podcasts of like the people who were accused of being witches in a lot of the villages in early America. They were healers, mm-hmm. they were healers or midwives, and one baby died or. Somebody stayed sick and passed away and suddenly they were a witch because yep. they didn't fix it. Yep. Sometimes also
4: they would be the the widows of uh, powerful men. And because there is land or, or, or livestock, mm-hmm. a lot. local usually men would be like, hey, man, wouldn't that be great if, you know, it no longer belonged to her and it belonged to us. Yep. That's quite fascinating. Have Have you guys ever seen the movie slash documentary called Haxan? Came out in nineteen twenty one. It's called Haxan: Witchcraft Through the Ages. No, yeah. very fascinating. Uh, it's basically a story of how the the earliest origins of 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 witchcraft and how people perceive the world to to work and how witchcraft become became such a popular thing with maleficus maleficarum. Yes. Yep. And uh, witch prosecution, persecution uh, in Europe and in America. Mm -hmm. It is very, very fascinating. They they explore the reasons why these people were thought to be witches, and oftentimes it was things as simple as you know there was a plague. Yep. And somebody, somebody had to go down, you know, it's just mm-hmm. plagues didn't just happen, man, you know.
1: Yep. <laughs> it's not the stagnant water or rats or rotten yep. food.
0: No, It's not because there was a drought or. No,
1: absolutely. And I
4: mean, even uh, you guys, you know, way, way better than I do when it comes to the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. They talk about millet poisoning. Some yes. people. Yep. And the psychosis that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how the whole thing just spiraled out of hand and then boom, bunch of people dead. Yep.
1: Yep. Well, and so you have these people who are, it's the same thing where it's a bunch of people coming to a new place in a foreign country and they're surrounded by other people
0: of different cultures. And they're bringing their own superstitions with they're them. They're
1: their own superstitions. They have the superstitions of the First Nation people that they're meeting for the first time. And there's a lot of conflict. There's not enough food. There's harsh weather and new diseases that they aren't familiar with. So yep. that, like witchcraft was a scapegoat for people who couldn't cope with reality.
4: Yep yeah that's one of the reasons why I said, you know these people still believe in these things because they live in a world that where that's the norm. Mm-hmm. Mob justice is rampant, superstition is rampant. and because those communities are so poor, there's also a level of that, you know,
2: yeah,
4: less space for the others, more space for the
0: in-group. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. That's all I've got for you, ladies. Since we have you, would you like to share with our listeners where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on social media?
4: Currently, I am working towards a October 30th release, the mm-hmm. day before Halloween, with Perfect. a bonus episode on Halloween day. So I'm also working with a co-host now. Originally, I was going to do a solo pod, but I have a co-host with whom I'm very well befriended, and I'm very excited to record with them. Awesome. And my podcast, or our podcast in this case, is about creepy moments in film.
2: Mm-hmm. The
4: kind of stuff that might not necessarily be in a horror film but are horrific in themselves and stick in our minds. And I've found that a lot of people, a lot of podcasts, they'll talk about the movie as a whole and then sort of go, oh, you know that scene? Oh yeah, that scene's terrible. And then just sort of move on where I take those scenes, I pick them apart. And usually my favorite ones go with some form of contemporary music. And it's interesting to see how the song and the moment, the scene becomes, they become more than the sum of its parts, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and why those things are so strange to us.
0: Mm-hmm. I yeah. like it.
1: Very interesting. So it debuts October 30th with a bonus episode on the 31st.
0: Awesome. Yes.
1: And then it would be, a, it's a
4: limited series series. But I'm very excited to see what some of the people out there will think about it. And as a filmmaker, I'm very
0: excited to share my story.
1: That's yeah. Awesome. awesome. Congratulations. I hope, it, I hope it goes very well. Yeah.
0: I oh, look forward to listening much. to it. I'm yeah. Very excited. Same. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on and for telling us those very interesting stories of those cryptids. Yes. And I will be sure to link to your social media in the show notes.
4: I'll also be posting a couple of pictures of the Karua mermaid, Tokuloshi, and the Khurtslang. If anybody would
0: like to check those out, oh, I'm going awesome. to do that. Yeah, for sure. Now. This next one comes from our friend John, one of the hosts of the Everyone Dies in Sunderland podcast. Hi, John. Hello, John. So in the 80s, where Everyone Dies in Sunderland is set, I -hmm. stayed overnight at my grandma's house while my parents were out. I don't know where they went, possibly a Tupperware party. Could be. Weirdly, my parents live near Tupperware headquarters in Kissimmee, Florida now, so they must have enjoyed it very much. (laughs) That's
1: such a strange coincidence. Is it close to a Chili's? I, I know that that would exist, but the fact that there is such a thing is Tupperware headquarters. <laughs> it's, um, that's a, it's a new level that I didn't know the world needed. It's pretty great.
0: My grandma had a three-bedroom house, her bedroom, my dad's, and my uncle's. I always slept in my uncle's room, which had bookshelves above the bed. Mm-hmm. He was the reader in the family before I came along. Nice. One night at bedtime, I suddenly freaked out, screaming about how I wouldn't sleep in my uncle's bed because it wasn't safe. So my grandma put me in my dad's room instead. In the middle of the night, we were woken by a huge crash. The shelves above the bed in my uncle's room had collapsed, raining books and not to mention very solid and weighty bookends down on exactly where my tiny sleeping head would have been if I hadn't freaked out.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: To this day, I have no explanation. I hate that. And then he writes, do sleep well. Don't have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> he would. God damn it, John. God damn it, John. Well, I'm glad you weren't crushed by a bunch of what I'm assuming is heavy books.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm
0: assuming semi-sturdy shelving and heavy bookends.
1: Yeah. The bookends would have been the...
0: The quencher. The worst. Yeah. yeah. I'm picturing like solid metal bookends. Right. Because it was the 80s. Yep. All right. This next one comes from our friend Catherine at Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. Nice. Hi, Catherine. In September of 2019, my friend and I went on a ghost hunting tour of Old Town, San Diego. That sounds nice. amazing. That does sound nice. There were several stops, but the one I had an encounter at was the Cosmo. The Cosmopolitan Hotel in Old Town, San Diego was originally built as a family home by Don Juan Bandini, who was a cattle rancher. That is the best name ever. That is an excellent name. It was finished in 1829. Bandini had three daughters, Ysadora, Josefa, and Arc- Arcadia, all said to be beauties. Bandini sold the home in 1859, and eventually it was owned by Albert Seeley, who in 1869 turned it into a stagecoach shop and hotel. Nice. He renovated the original's first story and had a framed second story with balconies. I'm sorry,
1: but it it just seems really funny that like in the 1800s they were renovating to restore it to its original thing. Because in my <laughs> mind, I'm just like, didn't you just build it just then? Like <laughs> things before the 1800s. It was. Oh, in I suppose
0: UN, you know. It was 30 years old by the time he bought it. And then it was 40 years old when he turned it into a stagecoach shop and hotel. And they did add a second story to it. That's true. But yeah, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard to fathom that in California. It is said that Don Juan Bandini's daughter, Isadora, was one day watching a parade from the home's upper balcony when she leaned too far over its railing. She is said to have fallen off and landed into the arms of Colonel Cave Johnson Coates, oh. who was on horseback below.
1: Oh, well, That's better than I thought.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh no. The two were married not long after that. Isadora nice. passed away in 1897, and it is believed that hotel rooms 4, 5, and 11 are haunted by her spirit. Wow, she really gets around. Yeah, she is just like, I like all of these. Listen, all of these are mine. Room 11 in particular is said to see the most mischief, with lights turning on and off, items moving around, and doors opening and closing at will. Disembodied sounds are known to emanate from other rooms, though no one will be around. Ew. Perhaps the most prominent poltergeist to be witnessed is that of the famous Lady in Red. Nice. She mostly stays in rooms four and five.
1: Oh man, so she likes the same space. Maybe, maybe that's why Isadora, she's
0: like, I have three rooms. I I also have 11, bitch. Yeah. She mostly stays in rooms four and five, and her hauntings are said to be harmless. Other various hauntings have been reported. It was near midnight when we went into the hotel. Our poor guide was having a slow night, as it was just the two of us, myself and my friend and the guide. Hmm. It made it just that much more spooky. We went into the bar and dining area of the Cosmopolitan Hotel. The guide was telling us about a ghost kid some people have seen in the mirror hanging over the bar.
1: No, no, the mirror. Come on, ghost kid. Like, that's just. Yeah, that's a good prank.
0: Yeah. (laughs) He encouraged us to take a picture. No, I did not want to see some ghost kid standing next to me in the mirror. So I quickly moved off to one of the small dining rooms. I had taken maybe three steps over the threshold of the empty room when I suddenly felt a male presence directly behind me and to my right. Nope. It was so strong, I fully expected to see him when I looked over my shoulder, but nothing was there. I can't tell you why it was a male presence. It was just something I knew or could sense. I hate that. At this point in time, we had done around five other ghost haunting locations in various parts of California, including some pretty spooky locations, and I had not felt anything that intense in any of them. Just to point out, I haven't been easily spooked.
1: Hmm. Do you think it was the
0: bandita himself? Or maybe it was her husband? The husband Mm -hmm. of the woman that fell off the balcony railing? Yeah. I'm not laughing because she fell off the balcony railing. No. It's just an interesting that. story that you could tell to your grandkids that you Right. Literally fell into the arms of your husband. Right. And that's how you met. He literally caught me as I fell out of a window.
1: And that's also like it's impossible to live up to, too. Like Yeah. All other suitors of her her children would be like, "Well, um, can you if, would you catch me if I fell off that?" They'd be like, "Hell no. Are you kidding?
0: What are you doing?" What's your meet cute story? "Oh, we met <laughs> each other at the bookstore." Oh. How about you? I fell out of a window and he caught me oh, All right. no. on horseback. Oh, oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> so joining me today is Karen from the Chicklet podcast. She's got a special spooky story that she's going to share with us for our Halloween episode. So I'll let you take it away.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm Karen. You may remember me from a Crack the Cramp Word episode many moons ago. Yeah, that many, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And I am here to tell you my personal paranormal experiences from my days attending Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina. It is a very, very old school. The current Mm -hmm. campus was built in 1926, and that's where I lived for four years, pretty much. And boy, howdy, are there a lot of ghost stories. The main one that I'm focusing on is the story of Margaret Irene Bright and her daughter, Mm -hmm. as well as my personal experiences of what I think the haunting still occurs on campus. So back in 1936, Meredith College decided that they were going to start a new tradition. And if you've ever been to a traditional women's college or Women's colleges in the South particularly love their traditions. Every yeah. graduating class, it was decided in 1936, was going to get their own doll. So, <laughs> yeah, you you see where this is going. Oh <laughs> yes. Oh yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, every year when the when the seniors graduate, there is a new doll made and she's dressed to reflect the fashions of the time. So when I went there, it was I believe the doll's name was Millie, and she was wearing UGG boots, a a pair of black (laughs) leggings, and an oversized T-shirt. Nice. No, that's just kind of the uniform of going to college in 2012. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. Oh my god. And so that was my doll. But there's many, many, many dolls going all the way back to 1936. And in the main building of the campus, the main academic building, there's a big rotunda. And on the third floor, all of the dolls are in their cases. So if you go up to the third floor of this rotunda... I don't think there's anything else up there. Like they don't have offices or anything up there.
0: It's just an homage <laughs> it's to dolls just
3: the dolls. And so it's, <laughs> and it's all around you. Like it's I mean it's a rotunda, so it's a circular shaped, you know, atrium type of place and oh, they're all just kind of staring there. at you and
0: I, That's not terrifying at all. Mm-hmm.
3: Not at all. Um I definitely didn't make a horror movie about it for a project in <laughs> 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 You know, people hear that and they're like, "Wow, that's creepy." But the curator, the original curator of the dolls, her name was Margaret Irene Bright, and from 1936 until she died in 1969, wow. she actually worked and maintained the dolls, and picked the clothing, and yeah. worked with the senior classes to, like, you know, the the student government and everything to to figure out which doll was going to be next, yeah. what it was going to be named, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And legend has it that she was an unwed mother at a time Ooh. when you know, in the 30s, when that <sighs> was not really yeah. a That was
0: frowned upon.
3: A thing, yeah. It was probably still frowned upon in 1969, at least like more than it was like now. But so she had a daughter named Martha. And I didn't actually check the public records for this because I didn't have a lot of time to do my research. But legend has it that she had a daughter named Martha who was hearing impaired. And the Baptist campus, it used to be a Baptist school. It is not anymore. But it was, you know, it was a Baptist women's college back in the day. So they Mm -hmm. sort of like... Took her in, I guess, and, and you know, they, they let her work there and they didn't really mind or maybe mm-hmm. somebody made up a story. I don't know. Yeah. So she, the Martha, the daughter, loved to play with the dolls. But, of course, these dolls are not dolls that you play with. They're meant yep. to sit yep. in a creepy case and collect dust and look like Annabelle. <laughs> <after two years. laughs> nope. So, and Margaret was very passionate about the dolls. She didn't want her playing with the dolls. So... She forbid her from playing with any of the dolls ever. But of course, as young children are wont to do, Martha disregarded her mother's wishes mm-hmm. and she would often sneak up to the rotunda, steal a doll and sneak away and play with them. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So the other legend, part of the legend says that she would spend a lot of time in the fourth floor of the van residence hall, which uh the fourth floors of the residence halls there are really weird because, like, they're a different style and there's no bathrooms up there. And Ew. I think there's like one for the whole hall, whereas, like, all the other ones are sort of suite style because it's a small, I mean, it's a, small, yeah. camp, a yeah. small student body. So she would go up and play in room 414. And also, the, the elevators don't go up there either, so that's why I don't know. Everyone that lives on the floor, fourth floor, they all act like they've been to war together. They're like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> the fourth floor. We had to carry all our stuff up the stairs." You know, <laughs> I still have the scars, both physical still- <laughs> and emotional, to prove it. <laughs> I had to use my friend's bathroom all all year, yeah. and that's where most of the ghosts live, supposedly. And she, so well, she would go up and play with sense. the dolls. In room 414. But then one day, because I guess her mom found out about her little hiding spot. Mm-hmm. She snuck away outside and she was kind of looking for a new place to hide and ended up on the train tracks. By oh, the train
2: tracks.
1: God. Which there's
3: there's a very the the train runs like right by. I mean, if you know, if there's like the campus and then across the street are the train tracks. It's very, very close. Okay. You can walk there in like five minutes. So Ooh. she was playing. With her doll. On the train tracks. And if we remember. She She's was deaf. hearing impaired. Oh god. And she didn't hear the train coming. Oh. And she was struck by the train. And passed away. Oh my god. So super tragic. If it's true. Again I, mm-hmm. you can probably check public record. But Margaret was you know. Very guilt ridden. Mm-hmm. And she supposedly never spoke again. After her daughter died. She just went yeah. completely silent and never never spoke to anyone. But she stayed and maintained those dolls till the day she died, pretty much. So the the experiences that some people have reported are seeing dolls go missing overnight, and then the groundskeepers <laughs> will find the doll the next day somewhere on the campus. And also, they people claim to have seen a figure of a small girl dressed in white playing mm. with a doll spotted in the quad or parts of the surrounding campus Mm -hmm. and then when somebody would approach her she would just like vanish so yeah creepy creepy (laughs) and i lived in van which is the residence hall where she played which surprisingly none of my spooky occurrences happened there though it was actually my freshman year when i lived in faircloth and then my sophomore year okay in a different one. So I was on the third floor of the Faircloth dorm for a whole year, my freshman year. And like I said, the dorms are suite style. So Mm -hmm. there's a room and then a bathroom in between with two doors on either side and then another room, Okay, Mm -hmm. if you can picture that. Mm -hmm. So we moved in, I think it was probably the first week. I was walking to the dining hall on the first floor and I saw two girls come running out of their room, (sighs) like screaming Great. And always a good sign. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, me, I'm like all social, like want to help people. And yeah. I was also older than a lot of people because I like waited a year to go to, to college. Sure, sure. And so I'm like, what's going on, guys? Like, what's what's happening? And like one of them is like, I'm not sleeping in there. I'm not sleeping in there. And I was like, what happened? And one of the other girl goes, our bathroom door just locked itself. And I was like, well, it's probably your sweet mate like yeah. taking a shit or something. Yeah, you know? like I don't, like it's it's not that big of a deal. They're like, no, you don't understand. That room is locked. We don't have sweet mates. Nobody moved into that room yet because it's like the first week. Not everybody was there, I guess. Yep. And I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And they were like, we are absolutely sure. So and I'm like, so what do you mean it locked itself? Like, do you mean like you just walked up and it was locked, or so those doors had actual turnkey locks on them? Like it was. It wasn't an actual key, but it could have been like a little skeleton key or something okay, with a okay. mechanism that worked. So you had to physically turn the lock. It wasn't just like you press a button. Sure, sure. And they were like, no, we were sitting on our bed and we watched the latch turn itself. No. Oh, my God. And I was mm-hmm. like okay (laughs) let's call security and get them to open it up for you and they're like we don't want to stay in there we don't want to stay in there and I'm like maybe there's a reason nobody moved into that room
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, no kidding so then the ghost was like hey neighbor
3: like hey um just don't mind me I gotta go um
0: I gotta take a ghost shit
3: I gotta take a ghost (laughs) shit so
0: (laughs) It won't stink, that's a good
3: thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> it just vanishes immediately. Don't worry. Yep, you don't even I'll have spray to some air freshener. <laughs> <laughs> so then, I think it was maybe a couple of days later, I was living in my room by myself because my roommate hadn't moved in yet, but my sweet mates were there. That's what we called the people that lived in the other room. Yep. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom to like take a shower or whatever. And I walk up and the door is locked and I'm like, oh, okay. That one of them must have locked it. So I go on the other side and I'm like, hey guys, do you mind unlocking the other side of the door so I can take a shower? And they were like, well, we didn't lock it, but yeah, sure. And then uh... they go to turn the door to their bathroom and it's locked and nobody was in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nope.
3: And I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten into? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that was my last experience freshman year. But finally, my last one, for real, for real, was my sophomore year. I lived in Brewer Dorm that year, which was actually connected to Fairclough. All the dorms are kind of connected to each other. It's like a big quad. Mm -hmm. And so I lived on the first floor, but I was going up to visit somebody on the second or third floor, I think. So I took the elevator because I was lazy. <laughs> nice. Some people out there, there. like, it's fine. Right. Some people are out there like, you guys had elevators? Um, <laughs> trust my, me, they were, they were not. Uh, the labor commissioner signed the thing, but they were not up to standard. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. was, it was some rickety ass elevators. <laughs> so we're in the elevator. It's like me and two other girls. And we're trying to go up from the first floor. And... I'm standing next to these two other girls, the elevator dings, the door is open, and it is a complete black abyss. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where are we? And I stick my head out and I just look up and down and we are on a dirt floor underneath the dorm in like the basement level, which I didn't even know the elevators went to. First of all, the stairs don't even go there. (laughs) What? And here's the kicker. I talked to a friend of mine who worked in maintenance and he was like, you have to have a key to get to that level. And nobody goes there. And we had pressed the up button. Like it's not Uh like we pressed any weird buttons or anything. Mm -mm. (laughs) Oh my God. And so I look one way or the other, I step back in the elevator and I vigorously start pressing the closed door button. My friend is like literally crossing herself, (laughs) like doing some fucking hail Marys. (laughs) And Uh, and we are like screaming we're like holy shit holy shit holy shit what the fuck (laughs) do we do what do we do because the elevator they wouldn't close and then finally after like 30 seconds they close we get back up to the first floor they open again and we all run the fuck out of that elevator screaming and then we just i was like i'm never taking this elevator ever again yeah thank god i live on the first floor (laughs) no kidding but yeah so that was my haunted experience at meredith college and i'm i know other people have had similar experiences and maybe not even similar experiences but that campus was actually voted most haunted in america by haunted i don't know if that really, <laughs> anything, but, like a really legit source <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> But I did find it in an Atlas Obscura article as well.
0: Okay. That's a more so, legit source. Yeah. A
3: little bit. Yeah. So yeah. So that's that's the story of the Meredith College doll haunting and my experience with it. <laughs>
0: oh my God. <laughs> did it say, and it might not because, you know, all good legends don't don't go into the fine details. Oh yeah. But did it say how young the girl was when she was hit?
3: I think she was, she was supposed to be like a little girl. I think-
0: I'm assuming around five or six or something. I'm assuming little. Yeah.
3: And it was the thirties, so that was the kind of the day that they would just be like, oh, go run and play. Nothing bad will happen yep. to you. you yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Don't forget the train affair. tracks.
3: Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy shit.
0: Oh my God. The idea of there being an entire like level dedicated to dolls is probably what terrifies me more than the experiences that you just shared Mm -hmm. because that's like the stuff of nightmares.
3: It's so wild like I've been up there I think I've only been up there the one time actually you know what I think there are offices up there because I think I went up there for something once and I was like wow so it really is this creepy for a theater class that was like theater and film I actually we my friends and I worked on a group project and we made like a little the haunting of the dolls, like, story (laughs) for it. It was way fun. It was pretty wild. We drove to some other haunted locations in Raleigh, which has a lot of really cool haunted places.
0: I'm sure. As soon as you said North Carolina, I was like, oh, that place is haunted as fuck. So, yeah. yeah. Super. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can throw a stone and it's like, oh, that place is haunted.
3: It seems like. (laughs) If you know of anyone that has ever been to the Devil's Tramping Ground, you should interview them because... That place, it's like a, it's like a patch of land out in like the middle, like the boonies, like close to where I grew up and nothing will grow there. Ooh. And they say that like, if you put something inside the circle, like overnight, it'll just be put outside the circle. No. That's super creepy. Mm. <laughs> There's a beer named after it from Aviator Brewing Company. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. That's something good that came out of it.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Cool.
0: <laughs> Well, I appreciate you taking the time to tell us your ghost story because that those were pretty creepy and I loved it.
3: I love sharing <laughs> ghost stories with people.
0: I do too. They're always fun.
3: <laughs> it's always a good time. Absolutely.
0: Thank you again, Karen. We'll have thank a link you. to your show because you did us a good service by coming on. And check it out, guys. And thank you again. Wow, thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, everyone who submitted a story. Mm-hmm. Those were really good. Yeah. Those were pretty terrifying. The
1: worst, but like in the best way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what's something good you'd like to share?
1: Um, Something good is actually pretty small. So with my new apartment, I've been cooking more because we're trying to save some money and experiment with some recipes and kind of find like a rhythm with recipes that we like to have mm-hmm. in like a rotation. Mm-hmm. And I made... A couple of really awesome soups this nice. week that we're gonna definitely keep as it gets colder but that's my something good it's always nice i really enjoy cooking and baking and it's really really satisfying when you find something that actually works that you really like enough to keep
2: mm-hmm.
1: and my my partner is pretty picky and <laughs> He said that the chicken wild rice soup I made was the best he's ever had. Ooh. And he doesn't like give compliments like that freely. So
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, that was that was a good moment. I love it when people enjoy the food I make. So that was kind of, it was just a nice little moment. Got to have some soup and cuddle and watch Bake Off and it was great. Nice. What about you? Was something good this week?
0: So Thomas's work had a Halloween get-together where like, family was invited, Mm -hmm. and they had a costume contest. Oh, man. And I brought your inflatable tube guy costume. (gasps) You did? And I won! Ah, yay! That's awesome.
1: (laughs) I actually just shared, I'll have to send it to you because I have... The best picture of me wearing the inflatable tube guy costume with Willie as the car salesman. Mm-hmm. And then I had the person that took the picture have the business card, the fake business card for Shitsubishi Motors. <laughs> <laughs> and it has like a Shih Tzu on it because Willie looks super annoyed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I remember that photo. Ever.
1: Yeah, we'll have to put it on Instagram or something.
0: Yeah, I was telling one of Thomas's coworkers about like where the costume came from because she's like, "Did you make mm-hmm. it?" And I was like, "No, I didn't make it. My sister no. made it.
1: I made it with a, a really good friend of mine."
0: And I <laughs> told her about like the couple's costume thing that you do with Willie every once in a while, and yeah. she was like, "That's awesome." So
1: yeah, actually, if if we can pull it off in time this year, my partner and I are going to do like a Pokemon theme with our two dogs. We'll see. Nice. We'll be. We're going to try to catch them all. Good luck. Thank you. We'll see if it actually happens. If you don't see anything on social media, it didn't happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. We'll see. All right. Well, on that note, let's start shutting it down. Mm-hmm. You can find us online at yeoldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yeoldcrimepod and on Instagram at yeoldcrimepodcasts. We are on YouTube. You should definitely check out our channel if you are interested in just kind of either checking out all the word episodes, which are in mm-hmm. a separate playlist, or listening to everything in one long stream. Yep. You can subscribe. Subscribe. I think it's called Click That Bell, if I'm remembering right. <laughs> click That Bell, because then that <laughs> notifies them when, they, when a new video drops. So, yep. Click That Bell. I feel ancient saying that. Yep. If you want to stay ancient, you can write to our P.O. Box. Yeah. You got stamps? Do you got some stamps? Do you remember what the post office is? (laughs) You can write to us at Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to go analog, you can send us an electronic mail. Mm-hmm. At yieldcrimepodcast at com, Submit questions, episode suggestions, yeah of the animated variety if you would like mm-hmm. to share those with us.
1: We do love them.
0: We do. They bring us joy. Mm-hmm. A great way to support the show and show how much you love us without having to give us any money is to leave us a five-star rating and review.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Good Pods. Today's review comes from Apple Podcasts, user Ab Loves Yarn. I like yarn, too. And it starts with three of the okay hand emojis, five stars, such a lovely podcast. I love the sister dynamic between the hosts because they are obviously comfortable with each other and the conversation flows really smoothly. I'm a big history lover and the fact that you guys do old cases is so awesome. Well-researched and humorous too. I look forward to hearing more from you guys. Three clapping hands emojis. Nice. Thank, Thank you. you. That's really nice. I love the use of emojis. Mm-hmm. They convey so much. Mm-hmm. If you would like to support us financially, even though you are in no way, shape or form obligated to do so, you can buy us a coffee to leave a one time donation. You can also Mm -hmm. join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month to get early ad free access to all of our episodes, as well as bonus content from when we appear on other podcasts. Sometimes we get the audio back from our friends at our fellow podcasters so we can share that with you directly. Yep. You can also purchase our merch on our TeePublic store. I don't know of a sale right now, but I'm sure there's one coming up in November because there's sales every month. So stay tuned for that. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And
1: I'm Madison.
0: And we'll see you next time with another tale as Eldest Crime.